New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. When the Iron Eagle flies and horses run on wheels, the Tibetan people will be scattered over the earth and the Dharma will go to the land of the Red Man. More than 2,500 years ago, the teachings of Buddha Shakyamuni originated in India and traveled throughout Asia over the next several centuries. By the 8th century, the great Indian master Padmasambhava brought the complete tradition of the Tripitaka, plus the stream of teachings known as the Vajrayana, or Diamond Vehicle, which can bring enlightenment in a single lifetime. What possible relevance can these events from 8th century Tibet have in today's world? The answer to this question and others serves as the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, Dzogchen Panlop Rinpoche. Dzogchen Panlop Rinpoche is acknowledged as one of the foremost scholars of his generation in the Nyingma and Kajiu schools of Tibetan Buddhism, and is also an accomplished calligrapher, visual artist, and poet. Rinpoche is a prolific teacher and author his teachings have been widely published in Bodhi, Tricycle, Buddha Dharma, Shambhala Sun, and other popular Buddhist journals. He's the author of Wild Awakenings, Penetrating Wisdom, and Mind Beyond Death. Join us for the next hour as we explore the mysteries of the bardos and the connection of this ancient wisdom to the times. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Rinpoche, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Nice to have you here. What um, inspired you to write this particular book? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, At the beginning, actually, there was a lot of uh, students in America who asked me questions all the time about dying and uh, experiences of death and dying. And from the Buddhist uh, point of view, you know, what it's like. Uh, what do we do with it, or how can we uh, transform that experience? Uh, it's uh, been a question for a number of years. And and then uh, one of our sangha or community in Texas uh, asked me to give a course on this topic. And so I was teaching this uh, in Texas. And from those uh, teachings, actually, the book came about. Mm-hmm. So how did you learn English so well? I mean, you, you speak a, a really great English. <laughs> no. Yes, you do. <laughs> I studied uh, at the beginning in the monastery uh, where I grew up in Sikkim, in India. Uh-huh. And then uh, that was just very little. And then I came here in 1980 with His Holiness, the 16th Kamapa. Uh-huh. And I was uh, exposed to America at that time. And then I came back to study at Columbia. 
It was actually quite shocking when I first arrived from you know very small town in India to Big Apple, New York. Yes, and I was quite actually surprised to see how dirty some parts of New York was at that time. Driving from JFK to New York City was quite amazing. Like you know, it was very different. It's so. Uh, shocking. At the same time, I felt like, oh, some part of this is similar to India. It's quite dirty. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And then uh, uh, I found, oh, I thought that you know, East and West, we are so different culturally, spiritually, and also um, uh, how do you say uh, socially, uh, in terms of habits, it's quite different. I thought. And um, then after being here for like five months. During that trip, I realized actually we are not much different. You know, we are the same. You know, human beings. You know, we both uh, uh, desire happiness. We both desire to be free from suffering. And there's some basic human element that's very similar, and there's no difference. But at the same time, then uh, there are some differences. You know, yes. uh, in general. But uh, when I left in, in 1980. Uh, I, I left with the conclusion in my mind. I was so young, but I left with the conclusion in my mind, saying, "Actually, there's no difference in East and West. There's no difference." But uh, when I came back in 19 like 90s and went to Colombia and, and spent time in New York City and start working with American uh, practitioners, and more and more, more I engage in depth with our organizations and uh, daily life. And you know, taking the subways and everything, and then I realized actually there's a really subtle difference. You know, our difference is very subtle, and it's very hard to pinpoint. But there are actually quite a big differences. You said they're subtle, but what are they? What how how would you differentiate them? I think. It's very hard to pinpoint by words, but uh, all I can say, you know, from my contemplation, is maybe our basic axiom of logic is different. You know, whole basic axiom is different. So, therefore, from from that reason, the subtlety, the difference is so subtle. You know, it's in the basic axiom, not in the surface. You know, surface is the same, right? You know, we all say, "Oh, this is a cup." And that's a tea, and this coffee, and Starbucks. You know, there's no difference in that, and suffering, and pain. But the basic axiom of, like, you know, uh, uh, looking at suffering, you know, looking at happiness, and how to achieve those, and what are the solution. You know, when you look at the basic uh, logic, reasoning, and axiom, there's some differences there. One of the things you referred to in in, in the uh... In the book uh, was the '60s revolution, <laughs> yes. and I thought that was interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, yes, I'm quite. Uh, uh, how do you say? I'm I'm a fan of '60s revolution. Why? I think it really created a lot of uh, openness in people's hearts, and and go beyond our ordinary, you know, dimension of the world that we always live in, and we think this is it. You know, this is the you know whatever the institutions say and whatever. Uh, we believe in, and then with this '60s revolution, we went totally beyond that. You know, it's very similar to uh, the journey of the Buddha when he was a young prince. 
uh, he went totally beyond uh, what the institution, you know, usually uh, tells them to do. And he was a prince, he was a crown prince, he was supposed to take over the country uh, from his father, but instead he left and became a great uh, yogi, practitioner, and um, asked a lot of questions. So that's what happened in the 60s, asking a lot of questions. Why? Uh, kind of more like a maverick, uh, someone <laughs> outside the mainstream. Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's right. Or maybe being more uh, inquisitive, you know, not so, not so much following the blind faith. You know, samsara in this cyclic existence, you know, we have this blind faith, uh, always believing in self and other, and always believing in duality, and and uh, existence, uh, solidity of things, and never questioning, you know. And then when you question, you know, what is this thing that we see as a table, like even from modern science point of view, when you question, then you find more, like then you find the atoms, and when you even question the atoms, then now we don't find the atoms, and it's just quark, you know, uh, in, in modern physics. And so more and more we question, and we find more and more in-depth reality. So it, one of the things I think in, in, in America, in this culture, we, we tend to be very busy mm -hmm. and rushing around and racing around and uh, all the things that keep us distracted. Uh, what about that? Because in, it, what, what you're writing about and what you're talking about is something that really requires going deeper and taking time out, as it were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so mm -hmm. what insights might you have to help people do that? Actually, it doesn't take that long, you know, if you really question <clears throat> and uh, look at reality. Let, let's say, uh, you know, I had one experience. You know, I was having a bad headache one day when I was traveling, and I forgot to pack my Tylenol uh, with me. And so right after I landed, there was a lot of people waiting for me, and we had, uh, like, there was a meeting going on. And so I was caught up in the meeting, and my headache was still going on. You know, and uh, my mind at the beginning was all focused on Tylenol. Where's my Tylenol? Where's my Tylenol? And then at some point I said, like, that's not helpful. Now let's just, you know, look at this pain. Analyze. Uh, do some contemplation. You know, while I'm talking, you know, uh, in between, you know, when people are talking or what. And so I was doing this analysis and looking at my headache, my pain. And more I looked, I find uh, less of uh, what we usually call headache, you know, uh, the, the, the label, the pain. And the more I look, I actually, actually experienced a very funny thing, actually. Uh, I felt like a little bit of drunk at some point. Uh, it's funny, like, when you really look at the pain and the experience, it's different than what we usually label. Well, you wrote about pain as a spiritual path. And it can be a spiritual path. It can be, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how how is it? How can it be a spiritual path? I think a lot of us uh, in the world who are following spiritual journey of any tradition, any religion, uh, there's some history. Like you know, whenever we have a tragedy or uh, negative circumstances in our life, and that really brings us to some kind of a spiritual journey, uh, and uh, then we begin to seek a deeper meaning of life. 
you know, deeper meaning of uh, who we are and a deeper meaning of uh, uh, what is the nature of our mind and our, our pain and our suffering. And so that's the beginning of actually freeing ourselves from suffering from the Buddhist point of view. This phrase, nature of mind, uh, it's a phrase that uh, permeates lots of Buddhist writings. Uh, that's you, correct. Can you talk about that nature of mind? Yes, uh, from Buddhist point of view, uh, the true state of our consciousness or our mind, uh, right from the beginning, is pure, it's free, and it's with the full of wisdom and compassion. You know, that's the true state. And when we don't see that nature, then we get caught up in this all negative elements that we experience, you know, like anger, jealousy, passion, uh, and so on. And so, uh, therefore, from Buddha's point of view, the original state of our mind or consciousness is seen as uh, uh, the wisdom of Buddha or enlightenment, and it's totally free and full of compassion. Yes. So it's uh, interesting that as you're talking that uh, it's already here. We already have it, but we just don't see it. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that example, you know, we say, like, if someone's sitting on a treasure, like if, uh, if, if there's a heap of garbage, you know, piled on top of this land where there's a tremendous treasure underneath, you know, people who are living in that kind of slum, situation, uh, do not realize there's a whole treasure underneath, you know. It's like that. You know, we say the nature of mind, you know, uh, behind or beneath all this turmoil, chaos that we experience in our mind, um, underneath the whole uh, nature or reality of that experience of our thoughts, uh, emotions, perceptions, is actually pure nature of wisdom. I'm speaking with Dzogchen Panlip Rinpoche and the author of Mind Beyond Death. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. In the book, um, you wrote, uh, you're talking about space and time, and <laughs> wrote, um, that is why Buddhist teachings often describe time and space as relative phenomena, a view that corresponds to Western notions of relativity, such as the space-time observations of Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. um, and we talk about, when we say from birth until death, we're talking about a long chain of moments that are connected by conceptual mind and then viewed as a whole. Um, so we're talking about like each moment, each moment connected to each moment. Mm -hmm. But often, uh, again, because we live in the live in this culture, we're kind of you know back there in the past, con 
concerned with something that happened yesterday or the week before or a year ago, right. or we're off into the future worrying about what's going to happen, uh -huh. and we're you know disconnected from that right. space. Mm -hmm. So how do we re how do we connect? <laughs> Ways to connect. Actually, um, when we look at the uh, time, the continuity is totally uh, conceptual. Uh, when you look at the each uh, uh, existence of a moment, you know continuity of this these each tiny moments. You know in in that moment there is no time, right? There is no time, but all together then we put uh, this label called time, and then some we label as past, some we label as future, some as present. But even within the present, if you look, it's really hard to find. You know what is present, like when we say today. You know, today is not just one thing; it's it's many many moments uh, put together. And so, therefore, from Buddha's point of view, you know, time is a, a label; it's a concept; it's a relative. And at the same time, the uh, continuity. And, the notion of continuity is also relative. It's a concept that we give it to. Like, for example, when you look at a river, you know, we think it's one river, the same river we saw last year. But actually, the water we saw last year is already gone. Yes. And even the water we see now is already gone. You know, the, the river is a very good example from Buddhist point of view. And that's why we say we cling on to continuity as a true and real like, for example, our body, our mind, our thoughts. But actually, they are like the river. And we say, uh, we go to this river and say, oh, this river took my flip-flops last year. But actually, the water that took your flip-flops away is gone far away. It's, it's, it's not this river. It's new every moment. And that's the same thing, what's happening in every situation of living uh, moments. So there's a relative reality, and then there's an absolute reality. It's almost like uh, mm -hmm. we've got to have a larger context. Um, mm -hmm. to, 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 we've got to understand that there's a larger context, don't we? That's right, yes. <laughs> uh, Buddhism talks about two realities, uh, relative reality and absolute or genuine reality. And relative reality is sometimes what we call conventional reality, also in Buddhism. Relative reality is just a convention that you know we all agreed on. You know, we call this a river, and we call this a you know mug and table, book, and that's relative reality, and it's just a convention that we go along with. But uh, in reality, the absolute reality or genuine reality, then Buddhism talks about uh, they all appearance emptiness. You know, the while they appear, they're empty of their nature. And while they're empty, they appear. I think that is a little difficult to fathom right away. But if we look at it from the point of view of uh, modern science and physics, I think it becomes pretty clear. You know, even when we look at the mug and say, oh, okay, this is a mug. Uh, even from this uh, atomic science point of view, we're not really seeing what it is out there. You know, the, the shape and the mug that we see, it's not how it is. It, it only exists in an atomic level. And then if you take that even further from uh, 
modern physics point of view, then there's not even an atom. You know, atom, atom doesn't exist. It's just a quark. You know, they're calling it a quark now, uh, or string theories and so on. Uh, uh, it's just a matter of time until modern science comes to calling it emptiness. Right? We just call it right now quark, light, what have you. Well, there's a lot of misconceptions about the, this Buddhist term called emptiness. Which is, <laughs> in some ways, perhaps it could deal with the translation of how that word, how that concept is being translated into English. Mm -hmm. and because in some sense, the emptiness is really a, a fullness. Mm. It's not really empty. Mm -hmm. There's a fullness in that. There's a, there's a fullness within that emptiness. But we ha I think there's a, a lot of confusion about that. Can you clarify that? Can help us clarify that confusion? Um. Yes, emptiness uh, is often misunderstood as being like a vacuum yes. or, you know, just like empty cup or empty room. And also, uh, it's easily misunderstood with the view of a nihilism, you know, uh, nihilistic view. But actually, <clears throat> as you say, uh, as you say, emptiness is uh, uh, not just totally vacuum or nothingness, but what we say when we say emptiness, we mean uh, non-solidity. You know, nothing is so solid as you perceive or as you conceive it. You know, that's very similar to uh, physics. Means everything is going. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. And of course, we're almost innately resistant to change. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, absolutely. Yeah. So. So we've got this paradox here, uh, and everything's changing, and we're resistant to change. Yes. What do we do with that paradox? <laughs> That's a very, very important point you pointed out. Uh, my teacher always told me that uh, we have this paradox of wanting to live long and not wanting to get old. And that's <laughs> a very good paradox, you know. <laughs> if you want to live long, you have to accept the consequence of getting old. But what we want is we want to stay young and long, right? That's already there, you know, there's a paradox. And like that, we have a lot of uh, concepts that are actually contradictory to each other. You know, whatever we're believing, you know, whatever we want, it's almost something that's impossible to gain, you know, like wanting to live long but don't want to get old. Mm -hmm. it, it reminds me of the film Lost Horizon. <laughs> uh, where basically the quest is to to live long, and they've come into the land of Shambhala, where you can live long and not age. Uh huh. This kind of like magical kingdom of Shambhala. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> right. But it's a story. Uh, yeah, it's a myth. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So. So yeah, and actually, like, how we can overcome that, you know, is actually to, you know, first to see that we have this paradoxical, you know, thoughts, our view. And, and from there, then we go deeper to analyze our thoughts, you know. Uh, and what is the reality, you know, what is the, re uh, the thing that we can really attain? You know, don't look for something you can not attain. And it's, it's no way in reality that you can do it. Don't look for something that you cannot attain. Don't look for something that's impossible. But isn't anything possible? Uh, everything is possible. Okay, so then we get another paradox here. Paradox? 
we have another paradox here for if we if we can't attain something we don't look for something we can't attain and yet at the same time everything is possible everything is possible but uh, how to attain that right how to attain whatever you want to attain that you need to be more practical you know in terms of the path so to speak to get there we have to be more more practical so we have to have to step back from perhaps step back from fantasy land. Yes, yes, definitely, yeah, definitely, from Buddhist point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when you talked about this movie, what is it? Lost Horizon. Lost Horizon. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking about like, oh, that sounds like fantasy land. Yeah. You have seen that film? No, I haven't seen that. But oh, it would be like a great that. little film to watch. Yes, it is. <laughs> Look forward to. James Hilton wrote it in nineteen thirty six, thirty seven. And he had been to India, mm-hmm. and he'd heard the the, uh, the, the story of Shambhala, mm. and so he wrote this. He wrote this. He wrote this book, which became a film. Anyway, it's an interesting little piece to watch. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, of course, this book deals a lot with um, facing death, dealing with dying, and, mm-hmm. and the whole idea of uh, wanting to live forever and not get old and all of that. <laughs> uh, and we have the states of bardos. And again, again, I think this is an area where there's confusion on the part of, you know, I think many of us have heard of bardos. And, but, you know, what is a, what is a bardo, actually? Bardo, bardo is a Tibetan term, uh, which, uh, which means uh, in-between state. Or, you know, technically intermediate state. Uh, and what it is, is, uh, uh, in between two points. And so, Bardo is like a being in the transit. You know, uh, like recently I was flying from New York to Seattle, uh, Delta Airlines, and we were stuck on like JFK. Uh, on the ground in the airplane for five hours. Oh. Yeah, in the plane. <laughs> yeah, that's like a interesting <laughs> transit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I've left New York sort of, you know, already, but I'm still stuck there, you know. Yes. You know, that's how uh, the journey takes, you know. Some people, f- the journey of uh, death and dying is uh, smooth and easy. And sometimes it's not that easy and smooth. There's a lot of, uh, mm, I mean, many circumstances uh, can can cause different obstacles. You know, like uh, like that. You know, I was stuck in the airport on the plane for like five hours. Then in that point, like you're neither in New York nor in Seattle. You know, you're somewhere in between. In, in between, you know, that's what we call bardo. In between. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's a state which we relate to or refer to in, in different uh, times. Like, for example, this life, you know, from the time you're born until the time uh, you're, uh, you, you, you face the death. And this is also what we call bardo or intermediate state or transit, uh, the bardo of this life. And then uh, the usual, uh, like common sense, uh, I mean, common people, when they relate to Bardo, then we are talking about the time and then the moment of death and after, which is then between time between 
uh, after you've left this life and have not yet taken another birth. So this is uh, coming from a tradition or a spiritual path which believes in uh, reincarnation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it leads us, leads us to the idea that uh, we need to, and this is why I think that there's a lot of emphasis on the idea of if we can learn to uh, uh, learn to live well, we can learn to die well, mm-hmm. or vice versa. We learn to die well, we learn to live well. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk more about that when we come back. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Sokchen Panlop Rinpoche, the author of Mind Beyond Death. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. guest is Dzogchen Panlap Rinpoche. He's the author of Mind Beyond Death. And if you'd like more information about the work of Rinpoche, you can contact his website. That's nalandawest.org. Nalanda is N-A-L-A-N-D-A west.org. Or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, and you can connect through there. One of the, the first of the six root verses of the six bardos, Rinpoche, mm-hmm. uh, at this time when the bardo of this life appears to you, abandon laziness since there is no time to waste. Establish yourself in the meaning of hearing, contemplating, and meditating without distraction. Taking the path of appearance mind, actualize the three kayas. Mm-hmm. So, so, abandon laziness since there's no time to waste. <laughs> let's talk about that. Yes. Uh, so, so let's talk about it. Go ahead. There's no time to waste. Yes. Um, you know, when we said this life, yeah, we usually think it's a long period of time. You know, we think, oh, you know, I have time. You know, I'll practice later. Uh, I'll work with my mind later. I'll work with my anger problem later. Uh, but actually, there's not much time, you know. Uh, when you look at the uh, nature of life and death, you know, death comes without warning. And so, therefore, what is essential for everyone is to see how we can actually live this moment well. You know, life actually means this moment. You know, every moment put together is called life. And so, uh, living well, in order to live well, we have to use this moment in the best best way we can. You know, uh, take the best advantage of this moment and do whatever you can, uh, as positive and as best as we can, so that this moment can be beneficial for people around you, and this moment also can be beneficial for oneself and one's own development of uh, wisdom and compassion. So everything we do can be practice, every single thing, really. Oh, yes. Yes, if we do it with uh, pure motivation, you know, good motivation, and if we do it with a sense of mindfulness, and if we do it with a sense of uh, compassion and love uh, towards others and towards oneself, then I think every moment can become a practice. The idea being that, you know, if, again, if we if we practice kindness uh, with good intentions in daily life, practice compassion, mm-hmm. uh, loving kindness, 
that that's actually practice for, uh, again, death strikes at sometimes unknown when mm-hmm. it's going to come, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that we can carry that into the into that bardo of once we once we die. Otherwise, we might carry the anger in there, and mm-hmm. that's going to create problems, isn't it? That's right. And uh, the question here is like, uh, uh, how best do we deal with this moment? You know, not really about like you know uh, the concept of love or compassion uh, so much, but actually how best do we deal with this moment of our mind. You know. Uh, when we have these outer circumstances uh, that are coming towards you, maybe someone's angry and shouting at you, or uh, or you're really totally uh, upset about uh, uh, how you did in your exam, or something like that, and and how do you deal with this moment of your experience of mind? And if we can relax within that, in that moment, if we can relax a little bit. And say, okay, let's look at the experience now instead of the object of the experience. You know, look at the experiencer. And if we can relax in this moment, uh, if we can have this experience uh, used properly in this moment, you know, then when death comes, it, it's also a moment. You know, death is nothing. It sounds very like, you know, uh, dramatic and, you know, big deal, but actually it's another moment. Nothing more than a moment. And so therefore, uh, then death, when death finally comes, we can deal with it. If we're used to dealing with each moment, you know, carefully, in, in, in a spacious way, you know, and kind, and then when death comes, we can also deal with the death as spacious and kind way. And so therefore, uh, you know, that's why I say the bardo is uh, uh, a bardo or inter- intermediate state is that uh, we are neither in the past nor future you know we are sandwiched between these two uh, in this moment you know and so the key point is like how we deal with this moment so often uh, what will happen in life is that we'll we'll get surprised right um, we'll get stunned or shocked or whatever and often in those moments is when we we get we can get angry or we can get upset or we can get ticked off and and it's those moments really are the moments when uh if we've been doing some practice we can mm-hmm. you know stop ourselves we can catch ourselves in the moment and that's really what we're talking about right that's right being yes. able to catch ourselves in that moment and and back and and you know just let it go let go yes yes the the, the key point here is uh i always tell this to my friends and students that uh it's not really that difficult to uh, to do or to practice but it's difficult to remember yeah right the practice that's what i i feel right uh, the instructions are simple and you know practice is simple loving kindness is straightforward and compassion is straightforward and uh, of course we all strive for happiness that's straightforward straightforward it's not difficult to understand or do uh, the practice but to remembering you know to remember to do it and how to do it you know one of the things that Sogyal Rinpoche talks about in France, in France they have these signs, repel, mm-hmm. repel, repel, mm-hmm. repel, remember, remember, oh, remember. Oh, I see. Remember. Exactly. Remember. Every time you see a repel sign, remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, isn't that great? That's wonderful. And it's actually like, uh, 
like what is translated as mindfulness here in the West? The root word in Tibetan is trenpa, uh, which means remembering. You know, uh, so mindfulness practice is actually remembering. You know, remembering to look in this moment uh, to our experience, to our thoughts, you know, to our emotions, and relax and let go, and experience a deeper space within that. Uh, so therefore, even the word like mindfulness, uh, which sounds so. Sometimes we, you know, we we kind of uh, magnify this, you know. Uh, but actually, mindfulness means simply remembering, really remembering, as you just mentioned, what Sergio Ramos just said. Well, it certainly sounds better than mindlessness. <laughs> mindfulness, oh yes. I mean, most um, of us, I think, in, in but, some you sense, know, we go around mindless. We're just mindless. We're. But that's we're, where the fun is. That's where the fun is. Yeah. Okay. The fun's in being mindless <laughs> for ordinary people. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when you say fun, what are you speaking about? What kind well, of fun would you have in being mindless? Oh, then you can have a fun with anger. You can have a fun with the jealousy. You can have fun with you know, alcohol, drugs, what have you. Right. right. They're, they're all coming from mindlessness. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they'll catch up with us. Oh yeah. Then you'll you'll have the hangover. You'll have to deal with hangover. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the consequence you have to accept when you start drinking Yes, the, the night before. The same thing. Uh, we have to see the consequence of anger in the moment we accept to be angry and shouting at someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and from the Buddhist uh, teachings, like especially from these Bardo teachings also, and working with anger is extremely important. Uh, sorry, emotions. Working with emotions is extremely important. And, uh, you know, whenever we have a opportunity, try to look at your mind and see uh, what is your uh, dominant emotion. You know, everybody has uh, every emotion, but what is the most dominant emotion for you? You know, if you have uh, anger, as a more dominant emotion, then, you know, try to work with anger uh, as a primary focus of working with your emotions. And if your dominant uh, emotion is like jealousy, you know, then take that as a path and and that becomes your main focus of working with emotions. And you really have to be watching and be careful, you know, when it's arising. Yeah, it makes me recall a story of... uh, um Natalie Goldberg, whose teacher was in Minneapolis, I'm thinking of her teacher's name, uh, is a Roshi. Mm-hmm. And she kept going to the Roshi and saying, um, what do I do with my life? You know, I really want to do the, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to do the right thing. I want to, I want to follow you mm-hmm. know, my path. And f- she kept coming back to the Roshi. And finally the Roshi said, well, what do you, what do you do most of? She he said, write. So will make writing your path. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so this is what she did. She made writing her path. And, of course, she wrote, uh, you know, uh, uh, really classic book, Zen Bones. And, uh, so, oh, that's beautiful. And so, yeah, so she, you know, went on to make that her path, and that was it. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so, again, it's like finding that, finding that place for ourselves uh, that where we can really uh, shine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. And especially... Uh, in our daily life, you, you know, like people with family, you know, when you have children, 
and uh, family, big family. There's a lot of uh, a lot of times you don't find any time uh, to do a real what we call practice, like meditation. You know, just sit and do meditation. It's really difficult. Uh, and I I feel that you know that taking care of your family is the path. You know, if you really do it with a genuine heart. Don't feel like, oh, you know, don't feel irritated saying, oh, I need to do this, you know, this, uh, I, I don't have time to practice, I have to do this and that. If you do it with that kind of attitude, then it doesn't become your path. Uh, but if you do it with the attitude saying, oh, here's a great opportunity, you know, to uh, to practice, you know, there's a whole, uh, you know, in this family life, you know, you have a lot of uh, chances to work with your emotions, uh, your shortcomings, you know, they will point at you pretty straightforwardly, especially children, you know. Yeah, I think I think really you were pointing out that a relationship and also children particularly, I think, mirror us back to ourselves yes. all the time. Yes, definitely. If you want to find out what's wrong with you or what's going on with you, check out some children once in a while. <laughs> That's right, yes. <laughs> Talk to them. <laughs> yeah, right. Because they'll let you know. That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I spent some time with my nephew here and there, you know, uh, since he, yeah, I was there since he was born. Uh, to see him every year, it's really interesting yeah, when you spend time with the children. So what do you, what do you learn from your nephew? Uh, a lot of things, actually. Yeah, first of all, you can see, like, how habits develop, like how our habitual pattern is developing. Like the kids, you know, Infants, they have no labels, they have no concepts. And you have to teach them each concept. And it takes time to stick these concepts to your, their mind. Right? Cup, this is a cup. Cup, you know, you have to repeat that many times and then finally it is sticking and it's getting more and more solid, you know. It's really interesting to watch how the process of development of our conceptual mind and then we have to we have to learn to back off of that. We have to learn to let that one go. It's like it's kind of almost it's like we learn that, and then we have to we have to unlearn learn, it. Unlearn it exactly. Yeah. yeah, to to see this process is very interesting, and also to see like how uh, how fresh is your mind? You know, really fresh. Uh, genuinely asking questions all the time. That's yeah. amazing. Asking questions, good place to be. I'm speaking with Dzogchen Panlip, author of Mind Beyond Death. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. My guest is Dzogchen Panla Rinpoche, 
author of Mind Beyond Death. That's what we're talking about today. And if you'd like more information about the work of Rinpoche, you can contact the website Nalanda West, that's N-A-L-A-N-D-A, west.org, or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, and connect that way as well. Rinpoche, um, in Mind Beyond Death, you uh, actually went into some detail about your uh, kind of recognition of uh, near-death experiences, and, and I, I thought that was interesting that you were um, kind of finding those intriguing. Can you talk about that? Near-death experiences, uh, a lot of people in the West and East, you know, have uh, uh, written about their accounts of near-death experiences. And I think they're uh, really wonderful to read and to find out, you know. And for me, actually, I had something similar in dream, you know, in a dream. and uh, And I thought at the beginning of uh, this experience of dying in my dream, uh, I thought it's going to be quite painful and fearful. I was uh, like, you know, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to die. But then, of course, there's no chance and no choice. Uh, so I was dying in the dream. And when I was actually experiencing the, the, the process of death, it was not uh, painful at all. It was like a very, how do you say, uh, cannot really say blissful, but uh, some kind of, open, uh, like expanding experience. Uh, that's what the Bardo teachings talk about. You know, when we experience uh, death, you know, first thing you'll see is like a light, you know, different light, uh, lights. And when you see the lights, you have to embrace, as you say, and you have to go uh, towards the light instead of running away. And especially when we look at Bardo teachings, they say like you sometimes see two lights. You know, one is dimmer. You know, kind of like a soft light, and the other one's extremely bright. And the teachings say that we have to embrace the brighter light, you know, and uh, experience your mind. Uh, but actually, if you are a meditator, if you're used to meditation practices, you know, that, that's not a question. It's not like, you know, where to go or what to do. It will be naturally, uh, you will be naturally resting in that. We can have those moments in, in the midst of um, great busyness, actually, mm-hmm. can't we? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely we can. And, uh, and that's why habituating oneself to rest in every moment and looking at your mind in every moment becomes very uh, essential and beneficial. Because once you're used to that, then in every situation of life, you know, whether you're in the middle of a busy, you know, Wall Street job, you know, or whether you're in the middle of uh, some very, you know, easy, relaxed job. In in both situations, you can actually uh, work with your mind and go deeper in your experiences. And uh, one thing, you know, with the Bardo teachings is like in the West, uh, it comes quite often is uh, uh, that... Many Western practitioners do not necessarily believe in past and future lives. You know, rebirth. You know, that's a big question here. And my uh, my contemplation is that you know, of course, for myself also. You know, I'm not an enlightened teacher. Uh, I'm not a realized teacher. Uh, you know, I cannot say 
yes, you know, I can, I can see the past, I can see the future. There is past, there is a future life. I cannot say that. But at the same time, you know, I feel like just as much as I cannot see there is that much, I cannot say there isn't that much I cannot see. So the logic is the same. You know, uh, what makes us more certain about it? saying there isn't, you know, more than saying there is. And there's not much really difference between these two, you know. When I contemplate in this way, it's really helpful. Then I can see, you know, oh, you know, just as much as I cannot see clearly and say there is, that much also I cannot see and say there isn't. And so therefore, it's better for me to prepare. You know, better to be safe than sorry, right, as we say. Yes. And also I got in this, you know, uh, uh, like Woody Allen, you know. And he said many different things. Like he said, <laughs> I'm not afraid to die, but I just don't, just don't want, want to be, be there, there. Yes. when it happens. And then also he says, like, I don't believe in reincarnation, uh, but I bring along a change of underwear anyway. <laughs> right. you know? And so like those, you know, it's yeah. quite interesting. Uh, worldly wisdom is there. Yes. Yeah, Woody Allen is uh, full of those kinds of <laughs> worldly wisdoms, is for sure. One of the things that's unique about the Tibetan tradition is that, particularly in Padmasambhava, these termas, termas, teachings that emerge uh, when the time is propitious or, or right. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about termas? What are termas? Terma uh, literally means a treasure that's discovered later. And so the treasure of wisdom that Padmasambhava uh, sort of uh, uh, buried to be found later on, <clears throat> yeah, when, when the time is right. And those teachings are actually uh, seen as most direct and uh, uh, greatest benefit of all because, uh, uh, you know, it's like, how do you say? Um, I don't know how you, what's the best example. It's like, you know, timed release, you know, vitamin C, <laughs> right? It releases the right time, you know. And then throughout 24 hours, you have this, the vitamin, like that. And these teachings release on right timing, you know. And so throughout your cyclic existence, you know, there is the wisdom uh, that's most appropriate for your time and uh, your needs. And so, and there are terms still that have been still emerging. Yes, you know, you know my teacher also, his son is Kenzurumchi. Dengu Kentarumji. Yes. And he had also a great number of terma of his own, which has been published. And then, uh, you know, also his own is like Dunjum Rumji had a great number of termas. Uh, they both left, you know, uh, not long ago, you know, we all have uh, met them. Yes. And had the great opportunity to receive yes. their words of wisdom. Yes. There's, uh, towards the end of uh, Mind Beyond Death, mm-hmm. there's a passage which I would really like you to uh, be a great way to go out in the program, and it's, it's right here. Mm-hmm. At some point, we make the discovery that ultimately, mind transcends death. Who we are and where we are is mind. Mind endures because it is unborn and unceasing. It endures because it transcends our concepts of time and space. It is not fixed to one 
occurrence in time or to one place. It is mind that journeys as a guest in this physical body until we take full possession of the boundless wisdom and compassion that are innate to us and realize the freedom and purity of our abiding nature. It's a very nice... Uh, Thank you. Very nice piece. Thank you. Yeah. I would like to sort of say uh, something about um, our tendency to want to always to want to do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have a we we want to make sure we do it right. Mm-hmm. And there may not be any way to do it right. That each of us has a unique, absolutely way to do it. Absolutely. Can you yes. Just sort of speak about that for a moment. Yes, my teacher, Kemperumche, uh, he always says, "Erring and erring, we walk down the unerring path." And so. Uh, and also the classical Buddhist literature says the path is mixed, you know, half pure and half impure. And through working with this, then we become more and more uh, purified, our negativities. And so therefore, you know, path is always mixed baggage, you know, and uh, we don't need to worry about it. And if we are looking for the perfect path, then that is the result, you know, fruition. Uh, that's not the path, you know. So therefore, the perfectionism or uh, puritus, is it? Pur- Purify? Uh, Puritan? Purity? Yeah. Uh, perfectionism or, you know... Pure, uh, pu- being pure. Yeah, being pure uh, is actually an obstacle for our path, you know. Because uh, uh, we have to start where we are. You know, and who we are. And as you say, each individual has their own journey and their own uh, set of habitual parents that needs to be transformed. And no uh, individuals will have the same habitual pattern as you. You know, each one is unique and different. And so that's why, you know, path is so unique and different for each each individual, even though there's a general sense of guideline. You know, what is the path for everyone? But when we practice, it is unique and uh, individual. You know, that's why I often feel that uh, when we practice uh, the Vajrayana, Tibetan Buddhism, it is important to have a unique personal connection to the path and personal connection to teacher and, you know, talk to your teacher, you know, uh, and, you know, practice the journey uh, that is most suitable for you. Uh, and, and it's difficult to say that we can have a universal path, you know, or institutionalized path. Uh, the path is a personal journey and path is individual journey to free one's habitual pattern and free one's uh, suffering. And each uh, individual experiences suffering and their causes of suffering differently. Rinpoche, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. I've been speaking with Dzogchen Panlap Rinpoche, author of Mind Beyond Death. If you'd like more information about the work of Rinpoche, you can contact the website lalandawest.org. That's N-A-L-A-N-D-A, west.org. Or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number... 
3,208. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. New Dimensions.